Welcome to Admin Unboxed. We are a show that encourages you to think beyond the boundaries of traditional stereotypes surrounding the administrative profession. Did you know that there's 160 different job titles in our profession? Holy moly guacamole. That is a lot of job titles. So our show is about having guests on where we'll unpack the prickly stuff, share industry updates, we'll document, we'll review, we'll show off the admin profession's incredible diversity, talent and opportunities. It's a show full of honest, open conversations. Lots of cheerleading, lots of joy. Thanks for joining us and let's get tucked into the show. Hey, Kay. Hi, Mel. Hi, Lucy. Hello, hello. Good to see you. We're here on Admin Unbox and we've got the wonderful Lucy Brazier with us and we're going to do a little interview uh, because Lucy's in the country um, promoting her new book. It's been an exciting whirlwind tour around the country, hasn't it? It's been absolutely insane, but it's been wonderful to meet everybody and it's been, you know, just so exciting to see people getting excited about the content and about the interviews. So excited to do this one too. Oh, Thank you for joining us. We're quite honoured actually. So you are a guru of our industry. So it is very exciting for us. And we should mention the name of the book, um, The Modern Day yes. Assistant, Build Your Influence and Boost Your Potential. Um, and so maybe we'll just start off with uh, what inspired you to write, write a book for the administrative profession? Oh, thank you. Well, I think it was really that people kept saying to me firstly that I ought to put my two-day course um, into a book format. And so I decided that I would download my brain onto paper um, and get it out there, which indeed is what happened. Um, but also, I really felt that I wanted to get in front of HR and in front of the CEOs um, to talk about what it is that you as a profession do. And I decided to publish through a proper publisher. They are the publishers in the UK that publish the Times and the Sunday Times uh, business books, um, as well as doing a lot of the CIPD um, publishing in the UK. So they have branches all over the world. And really, I am hoping that it will afford me the opportunity to get to a wider audience to talk about what it is that assistants really do. We're a bit of a mystery bag sometimes. In that sorry. sense of, sorry, um, I think sometimes our roles are a bit of a mystery to other people because I don't think they really understand everything that we do. Well, very definitely. And I think the latest stat from the Global Skills Matrix said that it's 58% of them that are feeling underutilized, 58% of assistants that are feeling underutilized, and 78% um, are feeling that their businesses don't really understand what it is that they are there to do and how to use them properly, which I always find astounding because I think if it was any other part of the business, probably HR would have something to say about a whole population of people feeling underutilized because it means their salaries aren't being best spent. And I think um, I will sort of tack on to what you were just saying then about skills matrix. I actually use that to use to put together a structure of our business support team in the business I was working in. And I was able to show the value that the team were going to be able to make if they're all set up properly in the right roles based on skills, based on ability, and where they are in their career. 
And I tell you what, we make a big difference to the business by having the right structure and the right people in there. So the skills matrix is amazing. So if you haven't had a look at it, it's a really good thing. Um, and we're also able to do from that is to create KPIs for EAs and team assistants um, and administrators, which we always know is quite a hard thing. So the skills matrix has um, so many great uses in it. Yeah. I think that really, for me, that's what's at the heart of it. It's about performance because, you know, the most businesses want a world-class administrative function that's underpinning what it is that their stakeholders are doing. They just don't know how to do that. And the problem is that most assistants are siloed. They sit right the way across the business. They don't have a department or a function of their own. And that means that it's almost impossible to measure what it is that they're doing because there is no commonality when it comes to job descriptions or um, what it is that excellence looks like. And so the Global Skills Matrix allows that to happen. It gives a barometer um, for each level of assistant, which shows what it is that is the expectation is, and it shows what excellence looks like. So it gives something for the assistants to strive towards in order for the business to recognize them as being exceptional. Because really, I think most assistants have got job descriptions which are very generic and which have the line on the bottom of them that say anything else we might like to throw at you. And what that means is that really there is no idea as to what it is that an assistant is meant to do and where that line stops and going above and beyond and becoming exceptional kicks in, which is why it's so difficult to get promoted or to get recognition as an assistant. So for the very first time, we have structure which allows that performance review, the KPIs, the goals, just like everybody else in the business, to be visible. But I like also with the the, the five um, levels, like you were saying earlier, you don't you can be level two, and if that's what you want to be, you just need to be excellent at that level. I just think that's amazing because a lot of people in our roles um, want to go want to go to work and do their job and go home. And I was explaining to someone today, I think you could still do that and be that. And I think that you just have to think of it as in you're now got a work-life balance, yeah. but still strive to be excellent in your job that you are going to do and then go home. And you don't want that sort of, you know, crossover. Um, but then it also allows those that do want the crossover and do want to move through those levels to strive for other things. But, I, yeah, I just love the, the matrix. I think mm. it's amazing. It's a game changer for sure. And the businesses that we're working with are seeing the results. I mean, huge, huge amounts of money saved, so cost savings and efficiencies and, you know, upsurge in productivity. is a total no-brainer when you start doing the math, really. It is. And I think we've spoken a lot about um, how many job types there are in the industry. And the yeah. skills matrix then can help you narrow that down. And I know it's, you know, I'm just looking at that now where I am now. I think we've got 40 different descriptions. So again, it's looking at mm. what So there are 162 job titles uh, in this marketplace that we've managed to find so far, and that's before you go into translation. But I think the thing with having the five different levels is that because we've called it one, two, three, four, five. It means that you can map what you have to it, or you can come up with different job titles. It doesn't matter as long as the people that are working there are clear as to which level that is on a global scale. 
And some businesses will only have two levels or three levels, and that's fine too. But we didn't give job titles to the matrix because we wanted for everybody to see themselves in it. We didn't want anybody to go, well, my job title isn't there, therefore it doesn't fit me. What it is is saying, look at, look at the matrix. Where do you sit? Are you a three? Are you a four? And if you are a three, what do you have to upskill yourself in in order to make sure that you're moving into being a four? So real clarity now on exactly what you have to do in order to be exceptional, but also in order to get promotion. Really great, because it is, we've got a career. I thought I might just change tact a little bit. And in the book, you talk about building influence systems. It'd be great to hear just a little bit of, um, you know, how, how you do you achieve that? I'm so sorry, EK. It's, it's, it's not the greatest line, and I'm having problems. <laughs> sorry. Figure out which question you were asking then. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> building influence. Building influence, right. Oh, building influence. Yes. Building influence as an assistant. Yes. Yes, indeed. So to me, I think it is about them understanding what it is that you do, and I think it's about you stepping into a more strategic role. And there are lots of reasons why you should be doing that, not least because we hear an awful lot about how automation and AI are going to take over your role. Um, and there's a degree of truth in that. If you look at the global skills matrix, you will see that levels one and two are very reactive and task-based, and therefore those two things are going to be taken over by autom automation, those two levels. Because if you can do something twice in the same way, you can automate it. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of businesses building pools for assistance, like the old-fashioned typing pool, where they are giving all that task-based reactive stuff to those people. But where the role is really flying is in the level three and above. And that's where you step into being more strategic. What's happening there is that you're starting to understand your executive's goals and your executive's KPIs and what success looks like for them this year and you know what they're trying to achieve. And then you are tying your goals and KPIs into assuring that they do that. So I think looking at the global skills matrix, looking at what the contribution is at those levels and making sure that you have those skill sets really helps. But I also think it's about that trust piece and building trust. And that is about working out where you want to add value and putting your hand up for things that don't necessarily sit comfortably. So just as an example, I know that um, when I talked to Anne Hyatt, who was the chief of staff at Google and who was Jeff Bezos's EA, she said, you know, she was always thinking about where she could take on greater responsibility and where she could add value. Not more work, by the way, but really understanding where she could add value. And she said she started putting her hand up for things which other people were going, well, why has she done that? So on one occasion, I know she was going to go and um, visit with Eric Schmidt, who was the chairman of Google, um, with a president of um, a certain country. And she put her hand up and said, would you like me to put together a history of that country for you? Just a one pager. So when you go to do that meeting, you're able to speak with knowledge. And he said, well, yes, that would be a really good idea. And he came back and said, that was a total game changer. And I would like more of that. So over a period of time, she was taking on more of that kind of work, the more high-powered work, 
And it meant that in the end, because he wanted her to do more of that, she was able to say, well, actually, this task-based stuff needs to go to somebody else because I don't have time to do all of it. So it's shifting over a period of time by building trust, I think. That's what makes you more influential. I think you can probably hear me better now. Is that better? Yes, indeed. Perfect. There we go. My headphones. I'm in a room with the Wi-Fi. That seems out. Ah. Okay. I was just going to say, you were just talking about um, Jeff Bezos's EA. So, and I know in the book there's quite a few um, people, quite a few influential EAs um, in the book. And did you did you do a lot of interviewing with those people for the book or is this over time that you've gotten to know them that you've taken the information from them and and put it towards the book well i knew them all before i mean i one of the great things about doing what i do and having the magazine is that we do tend to interview quite a lot of those people and many of them have become friends because they speak at my conferences so um in the book the three that are i mean a lot of people are quoted in it so the, the kind of things that i'm giving examples of so for example um libby moore who was oprah's uh, chief of staff and ea for the longest time talking about how she didn't have daily meetings with oprah because oprah didn't like that but she did go and sit next to her while she was having her hair and makeup done every day and we run through the priority stuff. So stuff like that is just stories that I've been told as we were going through. Obviously, I had to get permission to tell. But I did interview Anne Hyatt, who is now a very, very dear friend. She lives about three roads away from me in Spain, and that's a whole other story. Um, and I did interview um, Barack Obama's former um, assistant, uh, Reggie Love. And I also interviewed Zelda Lachrangi, who was Mandela's assistant. And all three of them have spoken for me on occasion. And Zelda is actually the patron of my um, foundation in South Africa. So, yes, very lucky to have insights from them and very happy that they were happy to talk to me for the chapter on leadership because I really wanted to get three of the world's leading assistants talking about how they led up and the lessons that they learned from some of the greatest leaders of our time. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and do, did you find that some of the things that they were telling you are uh, often things that, you know, sort of aspiring and new assistants are sort of banging their head against the wall or finding that they are struggling with? Like, does that, when you get very, like, you, you go to that extremely, you're, you're experienced, are people who are experienced still finding that some of the things that they were struggling with at the start? Like, are, you, are we, you know, getting that experience that we know everything or is there still that day-to-day -day sort of struggle? I think there are some common lessons that kind of go through it. And I also think having got to a point where they were absolutely at the top of their game, they look back and they see how some of the things that bewildered them when they were further mm. down the food chain really were things that they could have done something about and did. And that was what I really wanted to show, was that they really took it into their own hands. So interesting. I interviewed all three of them, um, and I interviewed Branson's assistant and Libby Moore, um, Oprah's assistant. And there was one more. Oh, um, Peggy Grandy, who was Reagan's assistant, all in the same week for a charity event that I was doing. And I asked them all separately, if you were giving advice to a new assistant, what would you say? And all six of them, independently, totally independently, said, roll up your sleeves and do whatever it takes. They said, there is no job that is too small for an EA, but the way that you build trust and create the role 
as a much bigger role is to build on that small stuff to show that you are um, able to do the small stuff and therefore you can be trusted with the bigger stuff. That's right. I heard a, um, I heard a great quote in a podcast the other day and, and it said about assistants wanting a seat at the table. If you want to sit at the table, you've got to bring the side and your knife and fork. And I yes. thought that was a very good point. It, it's so true. If you do want that, that does mean exactly what you're saying, rolling your hands up, doing what it takes to, to, to learn and do different things. And I think it's also too, um, and you talk about it in the book too, about that continuous improvement and education that we should be doing and not just, you know, learning. Yes, curiosity. I think totally, and I think you're right. I think curiosity is huge. I think most assistants, the best assistants, are asking lots of questions, and it's not just how and who and what and when and where. It's why. I think if you're being a strategic assistant, you need to be asking the question why. But I also think a lot of the assistants that I talk to on a day-to-day -day basis are very focused on wanting to not just be an assistant and to be stepping into being more strategic and to be seen as part of the business. And when you talk to them some more, it isn't how they see themselves in their heads and nor are they prepared to do the work or they haven't actually realized that it's going to take work to do that. Because if you want to be seen as someone who is part of the business, you need to go and learn the language. You need to go and learn what the strategy really is. You need to be able to get your head around the numbers. And I think most assistants know an awful lot about business, but whether they understand it or not is another thing altogether. And to be seen as part of the business, you need to be able to have conversations with people just like everybody else in the business does. So I think we have a transition for the whole profession, really, that needs to happen around how the, they see themselves and how they are projecting that out into the world. Because it starts with them. I can wave my arms around as much as I like and go and inspire people and you know, do what I do. But I, I've actually got um, Liv Wilson, I'm talking to her about drawing a cartoon for me at the moment, in which basically the assistants are going, we're going to do the thing, we're going to get out there, we're going to go and do the thing. And then they get back to the office and they go, oh, the thing is hard. <laughs> <laughs> isn't it that that's the point if it was easy we'd have done it years ago but it isn't me that's going to make the change it's the assistance and I think it's so important that they do because we have a very small window of opportunity to do this now I think we've probably got about nine months until the world of work is reinvented and has shaken down and so whilst we are making changes what is one more change and I worry that the assistance because they're 98% female and because they're usually from a position where they're not um, at the top of the tree, are not quite sure how to ask and they're being terribly polite about it because they're socialized to do so. And they're sitting there going, well, it's okay, you work out how it's all going to work and then we'll fit in around you. And now is not the time to do that. We have the best opportunity that we have ever had to step into the profession that we want it to be. But it's only going to be us that changes that for us and for the generations that to come. And we've got nine months to do it, so it's time to have the conversation. Mm, that's a um, very short time. You're scaring the life out of me. <laughs> um, but but I was saying earlier, when when there's change in, in the company or change in the workplace, it's the EAs that and the admin professionals that the change starts with us mm. most of the time anyway. So. Yeah, why aren't we on the front foot? Why aren't we 
you know, part of that and, and you know, like you said, be part of that as it, as it starts to happen and be aware of it. And that all the AI stuff is just, you know, I was scared of that for a bit, but then, you know, listening last week at the conference and um, even to you today, you know, if you're part of that AI, then you will continue to be part of it and, and you learn it, then you have something to bring to the table and mm. you won't be obsolete and you won't be taken over by AI. You'll, you'll run with it and go with it. And I think it's so important. I think the thing is we're misinterpreting it as being a product as opposed to a skill. And the nearest thing that I can compare it to, and that's only because I'm old, is when the internet came in. And for the longest time, people were saying, well, it won't last. And it's just, it's just, you know, there are people learning to use it. And it's really, you know, it's a tool. Well, yes, it is a tool. But actually, if you didn't jump on board with the internet when it came in, you were left behind. And it's the same with AI. Your role is not going to go to somebody, to AI itself. Your role is going to go to somebody who understands how to use AI. So get on to it, play with it, you know, see how much it can help you. Because... I mean, even me, and I'm a dinosaur, I can, I'm using it. This whole trip that I'm doing now, I took the schedule and I put it into it and I said, what is the most cost-effective way for me to do this trip? And I think it's something like 12 countries or something, this trip. And it came back and it said, you know, one world does a round-the-world trip. Okay. So it was £2,100 to do the entire round-the-world trip wow. by plane. Now, if I hadn't used ChatGPT, I would never have known that. I'm doing loads of writing stuff for LinkedIn and then going, please reword it for the right word count for Twitter. Boom, done. Oh, how much time is it? Count, yes. You know, yep. how much, just those two examples, how much time is it saving me? And really what happens is you ask the internet questions and it gives you loads of pages. ChatGPT, you ask it a question and it amalgamates all those pages and it gives you the information back. And you need to check that the information is correct, of course. But it's a starting point. Yeah, definitely. Grammar, I've been the grammar. Oh, yeah, like, grammar. You know, and even, yeah, my LinkedIn, I rewrote my About Me. Oh, yeah. So LinkedIn and used and, Oh, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, and, and said, can you make sure my grammar's correct, please? Yes, I love it. I really yeah. love it. And I think that it's um, one of those things, I'm able to use it in this role a bit more now because I've got access to it, but I can do things quicker. So it's enhancing my job and making it easier. So sometimes you can run minutes through there to make sure it sounds correctly. I did, you know, a response to a customer, um, you know, seeking some information and that generated a response letter to me really quickly and it took me five minutes to edit rather than me sitting there for 20 minutes thinking about how I can respond and, and I tailored yeah. it and then done. And then I was able to do four other things in that other 15 minutes. So it's got a lot of advantages and it is. It's a really interesting how where it's going to take us. I think so. You know, I have one member of staff who is customer facing and is absolutely wonderful at what she does, but she's relatively dyslexic. And for her, she literally writes the response and chucks it into ChatGPT and says, can you make this sound more businesslike? That's fantastic. Sensational emails out of that. Is that cheating? I don't think that's cheating. I think that's sensible. Work smarter, not harder. Yeah, like that's just, a yeah. yeah. I'd be interested to see, especially in your tour, uh, Lucy, the difference around the countries of, um, you know, what executives or PAs are doing are different. So in America, you know, we hear that they've got to have a degree, they've got to have a bachelor's degree, you know, to be an EA, and then they have, and in England they might have different 
job to, are they vastly different, the roles across the different countries, or are they similar? No, I think they're very similar. I think where I see differences is where women are treated differently. And then you've got to deal with the EA bias after that. Um, but in the main, I think all the countries are always really interested in whether the assistants elsewhere are better than they are um, where they are. And I don't think so, really. I think it's much of a muchness. You have assistants at each different level and they are working hard, wanting to change the world. And, you know, when we first started um, 12 years ago, one of the very first campaigns that we ran was One Profession, One Voice. And One Profession, One Voice came out of the fact that when I was traveling, I was seeing pockets of exceptional work all over the world, but none of them were talking to each other. And I felt like each country could learn from each other, but I also felt there was a real power in bringing assistants together from all over the world to campaign for the profession to be seen as just that, a profession instead of a job. And so we launched the One Professional One Voice um, campaign and we had assistants all over the world making little films and we put them all together so that you kind of had Greece and Italy and Australia and New Zealand and um, parts of Africa and, you know, and it was wonderful, really, really wonderful. But they do all now work together. And I love that because I think it's the thing that's going to change the profession globally as opposed to countries getting ahead of each other. And you mentioned in the book, like I've, I've written a note here, fifth of the world's population are administrative professionals. Oh, that's mind-blowing. Yeah. It's, but, you know, I saw um, when I was in America quite recently on Facebook, there was a graphic that said, if America was made up of 100 people, what jobs would they be doing? And at the top was admin, 13. 13 of the 100 wow. would be doing admin. And that was taken from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And what's so interesting about that is that the Bureau of Labor Statistics only recognizes one level of assistant. And that is the level two on the global skills matrix. So the task-based oh reactive yeah. assistant doesn't recognize levels three to five. So all of the levels three to five get lumped in with management. So when you see articles coming out of the United States saying the role is disappearing, that's because they're only looking at the Bureau of Labor Statistics and level two. And of course that's disappearing because automation is taking it over. But Glassdoor is saying levels three to five are one of the fastest growing, most impactful roles of the next five years. So there's great confusion, I think. Huge confusion around that. But it's kind of, it's kind of, you saying that's now, that's more comforting to me than, you know, when, you know, we, we did sort of start to think that, oh my goodness, they are, you know, we are gonna lose our, our roles and but that's really comforting well the other thing is of course there are three organizations that are really causing us problems the first is the bureau of labor statistics because that is what the u.s take all those statistics and their benchmarking for salaries and everything from and the last time they updated was 2018 and so the data is vastly outdated mm -hmm. because it's pre-covid and we are talking to them, but they have said there's a two-week window in 2024 where people can make the case for why they should be changing the way it's structured, and then it will reflect in 2028. Oh, so, you know, we've got a way to go there. 
And then the Wall Street Journal keeps picking up on the Bureau of Labor Statistics and saying the role's disappearing. And it doesn't matter how much we talk to them, they don't seem to be um, putting out anything positive about the role. And the last one is the World Economic Forum. And the World Economic Forum says that we are number five on the list of most likely to disappear jobs in the next 10 years. Well, if you then look at the skills that they're saying are the most important for the next 10 years of work, the skills that are up there read like a job description for an assistant. So I was just, I don't understand. So I pulled a meeting with them. I asked one of their assistants whether we could have a meeting and we did and we talked about it. And I said, so what is this? How does that work? Uh, why are we number five most fast disappearing jobs when the skills read like a job description for an assistant? And they said the way they pull that data is by asking their top 500 companies that they work with what they think. So it isn't based on data at all. It's based on what they think is going to happen. And so therefore, they're reading the Wall Street Journal and looking at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and that's where that data is coming from. So between the three, they're destroying the profession. So I really, it's partly why, as I said earlier with the book, I want to get into Harvard Business Review and into Wall Street Journal and lots of those other newspapers and magazines so that we can explain that this isn't a profession that's on its way out because it's so dangerous. What then happens is the executives look and they go, oh, well, they don't think I need my assistant anymore. Maybe I don't without understanding what's behind it. So we've really got to make a fuss and make sure that they understand what's going on here, I think. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because once those executives don't have someone um, running everything for them, because I think, you know, like going back to what you were talking about before about lack of understanding of what our role is, people don't realise how much many things you smooth their path for them so they can mm. just get up there what they need to do and what goes into making that path so smooth. And that's what a good assistant does. It's like magic and they just don't really, they know in their heart, but in all reality, they don't know what takes to magic work. But I also don't think the assistants understand. I mean, Mel will testify that today when I asked the group, what are you employed to do? And I said, it's the business that employs you, it's not your executive. So why does the business employ you? crickets really and then a couple of people threw in things and that tends to be the way it is i've asked all over the world that question and it's always the same they look slightly like well i've never really thought about it and the executives are the same when i talk to the executives or i talk to hr they're not sure either and so when i say well actually your job is to give them back time your role is to make sure that every hour of their very expensive salaries is best spent so if you're shaving off five minutes here or 10 minutes there or 30 minutes there, what you're actually doing is taking five minutes or 10 minutes or 30 minutes of their salary and dropping that to the bottom line. That's why they employ you. Because simple economics says that if you have two people who are able to do the same thing, it should be the assistant that's doing it because they're lesser paid. And your executive's time should be freed up to do the things that only they can do. So doing more of that. So this is why I'm saying coming out of COVID, it's never been more important for your executives to be doing the things they're actually paid to do. Because really, we need as much money as possible dropping to the bottom line. So it's a great opportunity to step in and say, well, you might have done your own emails or your own calendar or your own travel or whatever it happens to be up until now. But I would like to take that on. And the reasons for that is because this is what it's going to do for you. 
the best way to sell it always is what's in it for you and what's in it for the business. And I think really, if you're having business conversations, it ends up being a no-brainer. So it's almost like having a metaphorical pile of papers, and we're going to call it the work, and we're going to say, okay, so this one I can do. They shouldn't be touching that. That's me. And this one I can do two-thirds of. So that's also me, and I'll give it to them when it gets to the last bit. And this one I have no clue what this means at all. So this clearly is something that only they can do so they can have it. And it's you leading up and managing that workload and only allowing them near the things that they need to be let near to so that the business is getting the most bang for their buck. Exactly. I think I do that to you know, my boss. We're only three months into our working relationship. But I can say, do you want me to handle that and I'll come back to you? I'll just come back to you with the answer. I'll do the groundwork and come back to you with the answer. He goes, oh, can you do that? Yes, I can. Or... You know, a letter comes in, so let me just handle it and I'll come back with the response drafted for you from everyone. Okay, great. So, you know, it's that, like you say, managing up and saying, I can take things off you, you need to focus on that. So, um, yeah, it's it's owning that. I think it's that um, learning for us to own that and tell them, you know, I can do that for you and educating them. Yes, and, you know, I think where the light bulbs go on is where you say, you are extremely powerful as an assistant. You have the ability to make an exceptional executive mediocre or a mediocre executive exceptional. And once you understand that, then you understand your power. That's true. Mill, you've got power. <laughs> Sometimes. But, uh, yeah, like everything – so – um, 11th hour I was given the book and I'm going to be interviewing Lucy tonight so I've only read the first chapter but the first chapter uh, it gave me like I'm starting to get a lot more confidence in my career and and what I'm happy to say to my execs and what I want to take on and that kind of thing but just reading that first chapter already I just went it, it gave me even more confidence and um almost power as well and to and it also reiterated that I'm doing what I'm doing correctly like I am I do my job well and and this is what I offer so you know one chapter and already so I'm, I'm so excited about reading the rest of the book when I get a chance to um, but I was wondering if you, is your next book going to be a book directed at ex ex executives as to why they um, have their assistant almost like like or a handbook or something to get them to go this is why you've got them and this is how they're saving you money and this 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 and this or should we just give them the book and well tell I think them to it, read the book I think if I was going to write another book it would probably be on how to speak business because I think there are so many of you that really yeah. know what you want to say but you're not quite sure how to mm -hmm. say it. I think with the executives, what's really exciting is that I have a client currently who is really interested in me recording um, an hour on why executives need assistance and giving some kind of um, clarity around how best to utilize them and what that means for the business so that they can then share it with all the management that are new that come in. So as they come in, it's something that's going to be a you must watch this before you can join the company. Um, and so I'm trying to do a deal with them that says I'm very happy to do that on the basis that you then give it to me so that I can share it with other people. Because I think actually getting them to sit down and watch it, they're far more likely to watch it 
or to listen to it, I think, and sit down and read it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yep, definitely. Or even on a plane or, you know, yeah. where, wherever they get their sort of downtime. You're always saying to me, you know, the assistants, you must speak to our executives. We know it. They need mm -hmm. to know it. And I think it's so true. I think most of them have absolutely no clue how to best utilise you. And Bonnie Lowe Craman, who's another amazing trainer that you've probably heard of, um, she says that the average age that somebody gets management training is 46. 46, that's the stat. So that is a whole heap of management walking around with no clue mm. what they're doing mm. at all. And trying to be managerial, and we assume they're management, <laughs> so they must know how to manage us. Actually, if you're employed by your business and you understand that the business has put you in there to make sure your executive is best utilised, you almost have a duty to train them how to use you, mm. I think. Yeah. Mm. Oh, exactly. When I started working in law firms, the managing partner used to say, right, we've got a new baby lawyer, you better teach them how to be a lawyer and how to work out things. Do you know what's going on? And he used to say that, he to, say that to them and say, she'll show you what you need to do. And it set that, you know, set that precedent or bar in that sense of, you know, we, we know what we're doing, we can help you be a good lawyer and teach you what you need to do. But it's having the executives, I think, that conversation of what you're saying. If they're, you know, directing people to you and say, my assistant knows how to handle that, go to them, they will sort, you know. And it's not just sort the diary I'm talking about, you know, helping you with a project or being on a steer co or, um, you know, she'll be involved in that or he will be involved in that. So um, having exec backing you is a really big part of it as well to help break that cycle of us being sitting in the background all the time as well. And I think that takes bravery and I think that takes trust. And I think the assistant could only be successful if the executive is willing to delegate. So it's about training them why they need to delegate and what it's going to do for them. And you know what? I think very often we forget, because I know certainly that when I was first made an executive, I had an assistant and I had real imposter syndrome. I used to think, I can't ask her to do that. That's my job, you know? And I almost felt like if I was giving it to her, I was being unfair in some way. And I had no clue how to use her at all. It was a status symbol. I was thrilled when I got her but I just had no clue what to do. And I kept trying to be managerial and she kept rolling her eyes, not, not so subtly quite often. <laughs> um, and in the end, she taught me how to use her. But I think if I had understood in the beginning, I would probably have seen a lot more of my children. An awful lot more That's of Because I would have left the office off. I didn't know that I could get her to triage my email. I didn't know that I could get her to manage my calendar. I didn't know that I could ask her to look at projects or to put together briefing documents or any of that stuff. So I would struggle on and give her little bits and pieces to do, which probably drove her insane <laughs> looking back. So really, I would have loved it if, you know, right at the beginning, she'd sat me down with the Global Skills Matrix and said, this is the level that I am. This is the level of service you can expect from me. These are the kind of things I can do for you. And so where are we going to proceed from here? What kind of projects would you like me to take on? Um, you know, this is how I'm used to managing calendars. This is how I'm used to triaging email. Talk me through it right from the beginning before I even start, because then it only sets me up and her up for success. Did it take very long to get to that point? Or did, really did, it, long. did it not get to that point? No, where... it, it did in the end, and she was super, actually. And she came with me to three or four other companies afterwards. But I really, in the beginning, struggled because I was worried about saying to her she could do stuff. 
I needed her to do stuff. And she was concerned that she would be treading on my toes if she was to say to me, this is what I'm capable of. So sometimes it's just leading the executive by the nose and understanding. I am really quite brilliant at big picture stuff. Can I do process and procedure? Yes, if I'm forced to, but quite frankly, I'd rather stick pins in my eyes. <laughs> That's why I have an assistant, so that they take my excellent ideas and turn them into reality, you know? And I, I don't think many executives understand that, that that's what they are there to do. Well, that's, that's been amazing insight, like, you know, right from the beginning. Um, and we're, I think we're going to wrap up now, but um, what have you got installed for 2024? Because I think you were telling me earlier, and I don't know if I want to hear it all because it sounds so tiring. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Inspiring so much if you love it, and I am. I mean, the travel is insane next year. It's been insane this year. It's insane next year. But it, whilst the book is newly out and people are wanting to talk to me, and it's giving me the opportunity to go. I mean, at the end of the day, if we get this right, we're going to change the working lives of half a billion women and the two percent of men <laughs> that are part of this profession. So I think it's worth doing, really. So next year is kind of continued book tour. I've got. I'm back here over this side of the world. Um, in February, March, I'm going to uh, New Zealand, I'm going to Papua New Guinea, I shall be coming to Melbourne to do something there, and then we're going to try and figure out how we plug some other stuff in around that, which I'm very excited about. Um, obviously, back and forth to America and all over Europe, quite a lot, back to Brazil, which I always love, um, and a couple of new ones there next year. So I'm going to Calcutta to do something for the association in India, and I'm going to Thailand to go and teach a Japanese firm how to use oh. their assistance properly. So, you know, fabulous. How exciting. How bad can it be, right? It sounds amazing. It doesn't sound, yeah, it sounds, sounds amazing. So, and thank you so much for, for coming to Adelaide and coming to the different cities around Australia. And the fact that you're going to be back here next year, I just encourage everybody to get on your LinkedIn and see where you're going to be and go and listen to you speak because you are just full of so much wonderful information and and you're just such an amazing advocate for this profession and everything you've done and everything that you're doing you know i yeah i can't thank you enough so yeah, well thank, thank you, you for inviting me you know i said earlier that i tend to go where i'm sent so if people ask me to come i usually say yes because there's a reason behind well i'm pretty sure we would have you back in a heartbeat. So. I love that. Thank you, Thank you so much. This has been nothing but a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And um, for our show next week, we actually have um, Michael Boss, who's an EA based in Sydney. So he will tell us what it's like to be a male assistant in a female world. So um, he has got some great stories. So we look forward to talking with Michael next week as well. Awesome. Thanks, EK. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Thank you. Bye. Wow, what a great show today. Thank you to our guests for joining us. And to stay connected with us, please head across to Instagram, follow us at admin unboxed. And if you have any comments or questions, please DM us. We'd love to hear from you. And if you want to join the show, please also let us know because we want to hear your story and your journey and also the expertise that you have in your administrative job here in Australia. Until next time, be amazing, be beautiful, and see you guys soon.